0: Good to see you. Um, Next speaker on stage will be Nick Pandagast. Just gonna ask around because you know I've I've been loving animals my entire life. Um, My family always had a dog. Um, My my aunt had horses, so they were just animals all around. Um, How about you? Who loves who loves animals? Yay! Awesome. So you know. I got to a point in my life um, a couple of years ago when I when I started a vegan diet where I came to understand and ask myself that how can it be that when I love so many animals that who am I to judge who I love and who are who, which kinds of animals are going to live with me and on the other side there are animals, you know, ending on my plate. so. I, was a bit confused about that and had a thought like how how is that actually possible? And I found it really interesting to um, learn more about animal rights and especially how they are um, connected with with human rights. So I would like to to welcome Nick Panda Guest, who has been an animal advocate for over a decade, a really long time already, and most recently with the Animal Rights Advocates and the Vegan Perth Initiative, Um, and he also has a PhD in Sociology, and co-hosts the radio show on RDR at 92.1 FM and the Progressive Podcast here in Australia, which is really, really good. I like listening to that. Um, so yeah, what I've mentioned already, um, he'll be talking about the connections between animal rights and human rights and the issues that come up with that. He's also discussing animal rights advocates and their approach to animal advocacy and their vegan Perth initiative here in Perth and Fremantle. So please give us a big round of applause for Nick Pendergast.
1: Yeah, I, actually, just mentioning there about loving animals. I remember when I was uh, a young kid, I, I grew up with a yeah dog in my home, as many of us do, and um, she was uh, sort of Labrador, maybe um, Bull Terrier cross, and she'd always actually lay in our hallway in our kitchen, and we'd often trip across her, and my mum would say, no, she can't go in the hall, like she can't go in the hallway. She gets in the way when walking around. And from a young age, I like, no, she can do whatever she wants. She can she, 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 she can lay there if she wants to lay there. She can lay there. So even though I wasn't thinking about animal rights then and I think I already had this connection with animals quite young, so it's not that surprising I ended up here I am now with Animal Rights Advocate. So we've organised a bunch of cruelty-free festivals the last several years, uh, every year except this year. And, yeah, we've definitely picked the right year to stop doing it. Um, we've taken a break from this year, but there's been three other vegan festivals happening this year, including this one. So it's, yeah, great great times for veganism in Perth, for sure. And anyone who has been vegan for years, like myself, you probably recognise, yeah, a lot of vegan options around. Even a lot of these vans here today, I, I am, I'm at Curtin University. I just see a lot of these vans around vegan options everywhere. It's getting much easier. So things are looking good for veganism in Perth. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to be talking a little bit about linking human rights and animal rights which is very much what we're about animal rights advocates obviously we're an animal rights organization that's what the name says but we're very supportive of uh, animal rights environmental issues we certainly don't purely focus on animals Uh, all these other issues are important as well and that that was reflected in our cruelty free festival as well so we had animal rights groups we also had refugee rights groups environmental groups and tried to bring all of these causes together i think they're all related and they're all important in their own right as well so, in terms of talking about human rights and animal rights, I'm going to talk a little bit about, yeah, about my dog Charlie to start things off, who I share my home with now. I've had him for the last about nine years, and how, how I actually started, yeah, uh, living with Charlie was I was on the bus along Canning Highway, no Canning Highway. It's like a yeah two lane each way, it's so a four lane highway. I was on the bus into the city, and yeah, this dog ran across in front of all four lanes of traffic, nearly got hit by buses, cars, everything else, and everyone on the bus was like, oh, that's interesting, the dog nearly got hit by a car oh, well, on the way to the city did my shopping, and I hit the buzzer, hit the button and, and jumped off the bus, and yeah, got off, and he kind of, he managed to get across the road and got into this sort of vacant block, and yeah, when I saw him there, I'd actually had a lot of experience with uh, stray dogs, and they tend to be very scared, occasionally aggressive, but more, more often than not, when I saw a stray dog and I tried to, you know, tried to rescue them or take them, see if, you know, see where their home was, and yeah, if anyone could claim those kind of things. They definitely tend to run off, which I was very worried about because they were right next to Canning Highway. And so I actually sort of like got down on my knee like that to not be as aggressive to him or not be as kind of intimidating and kind of very quietly tried to like encourage him to come towards me. And yeah, when I did that, he came right up to me, jumped up, put his arms like up on my shoulders and started kissing me on the face, giving me licks all over the face, hugs and kisses, and that's kind of the first time I ever saw him. And, yeah, so it was really weird because he was sort of a stray dog, but he was very well looked after, he was very friendly. Um, and so, yeah, from that point, basically, I yeah walked into the local vet, um, yeah went to the vet, then ended up in the pound. And I just thought someone has to claim him. He's very well behaved, he's very friendly, looks very well looked after, very nice coat, all this kind of thing. Just in that up. And so he was at he was in the pound um, for quite a while. And I said, well, I really don't want him getting killed at the pound. I said, yeah, I don't didn't particularly want a dog or wasn't looking for a dog, but I was like, please let me know if no one takes him. But surely someone will take him. And I've actually got a picture here. I saw this in the the local paper. This is him here. I didn't bring him today because it's a bit um, it's a bit uh, rainy for him today. But if anyone is that can be able to see that picture there, uh, so yeah, that that's the picture that was in the local paper maybe a week or so after um, I put him in the pound. That's him at the pound there. And I just thought with that photo, like no one could resist him. Surely he's going to go in no time at all, and he's going to yeah definitely get adopted. Um, and actually I, I saw him at the pound there and, and yeah, he'd been there for a few weeks. All the other dogs were, you know, barking and just really freaking out and as you would in, in a little cage, all the other dogs around, he was just there with a big smile on his face and I thought someone's definitely going to adopt him. And yeah, eventually came around, about four weeks went by and I got the call, he's basically on death row, he's going to get killed if you don't take him right now. And so that's how I, I ended up here, uh, with him in my home after that. And, yeah, so I end up taking him, and yeah, I think just to briefly touch on the importance of adopting companion animals, um, I think Best Friends Animal Rescue are here today, or at least they were going to be here, I'm not sure if they're one of the ones who've, who've, um, who've packed up or not, but if they are here, definitely go go and, and check out their stall and look into adopting someone, definitely adopting a companion animal, whether it's a dog or a cat, any other animal, you can really literally save someone's life when all these animals are in in the shelters, so that's really important. Um, but yeah, in terms of this, yeah, in terms of Charlie not getting adopted, and and thinking about this, you know, down the track, reading these studies, which actually have found this is, these are US-based studies that large dogs with black fur are adopted at lower rates than other dogs, and there's even a name for this. It's called Big Black Dog Syndrome. So um, yeah, it's the interesting thing about that. Again, that's American. This and Australians, I, I don't know if there's any parallels in terms of why Charlie didn't get adopted. It was interesting thinking about these links in terms of why is it that black dogs get adopted at much lower rates than other other colored dogs and a lot of the studies on this uh, say the reason is the color black in western society is typically represented um, as evil or uh, other negative connotations when we think of the color black Um, and a big evil black dog is a common theme in books and movies Um, harry potter series is one example of that and even recently I did a mental health first aid course, and there was a really, um, a really great video, some people might have seen it, it's on uh, depression as a black dog. I was wondering really if they or heard of that analogy, some people talk about depression as a black dog. And it was a really great video, I really recommend it. But I also thought it still feeds into this idea of these negative associations with black dogs as well. So it's another example of these negative associations with black dogs and with the colour black in general in our society. So these metaphors of white is good and black is bad are learned from a young age, and this partly helps to explain why black dogs come to be seen as more dangerous than their white companions. So a study on preschool kids found that when a child is shown identical pictures of a white horse and a black horse, and then they're told a brief story and um, asked to answer a question at the end of the story. So for example, Bobby's horse bit him. Bobby's horse is mean. Which horse belongs to Bobby? And a lot of the, they found the kids always picked the black horse. Was the mean one even though they're identical they're exactly the same horse but just the color they're more likely to associate the bad or the negative traits with the, the black horse and the white horse um, so yeah this significant color bias favored white animals devalued black animals and yeah the study also showed there's little evidence for change in color bias with increasing age we're kind of grown up with these things of you know through stories those kind of things the black animal is evil or is a sign of bad times or whatever white is good and pure and all these kind of things and we don't change that as we get older you <laughs> And linking this back to racism, um, African-American activists in the US, for example, have looked into this language, and obviously we could say, oh, this isn't to do with racism, it's just to do with superstitions, like black is negative or these kind of things, but they've actually linked that to racism, including Martin Luther King, who said, if you look in your dictionary and look at the synonyms, like the the, the words we associate with black, they're always um, ugly and evil when we think of words associated with black. um, Yeah, they're always things that are degrading, low-ensinony, and When, when when we look at yeah, synonyms, um, similar words to white, they're always something pure. Even if we think of things like a white lie, it's kind of not as bad. You know, white is not as bad, white is pure, white is good. So it's, it's very much ingra- ingrained, and again, it can affect animals as well as the example I've given shows. Um... I seem to have lost the... Uh, oh, OK. Katie, you double-sided. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> um, environmental. So the net. I'm going to talk about a couple more links between human rights and animal rights. next one I'm going to talk about is ableism in animals. So ableism is basically discrimination against um, people with disabilities. And to do this, I'm going to draw on the work of Sonora Taylor, and she is a vegan animal advocate who has a disability. And she um, speaks about a fox with um, agroposis. I don't know if I've got pronunciation right, but that is basically her disability. So the fox had the same disability as her. And this fox was shot by a hunter because it had an abnormal gait and appeared sick. So the, the hunter basically shot this fox as a supposed mercy killing because the fox kind of didn't look right, didn't look normal. So they did it supposedly for the benefit of the fox. Um, so this animal who had quite significant disabilities actually had normal muscle mass and the stomach had a large amount of digested food, suggesting that the limb deformity did not preclude successful hunting. Hunting, hunting, and foraging. So they were getting along fine, but they just looked a bit different, and that's why the hunter shot them. So again, they're presented as a mercy killing. The fox actually doing very well, but the hunter's assumptions about the fox' quality of life were formed by stereotypes of disability as a struggle, as pain, as something worse than death. Okay, so this, this sort of projection of ableism, discrimination against people with disabilities, was projected onto the fox in that case. Um, and yeah she says that one only has to take a quick glance at the way we discuss the um, treat sick wounded and disabled animals to see this Um, and some of the most prominent ableist narratives that affect human beings affect animals so this better off dead narrative which led to the shooting of the fox um, is a common thread in discussions of pet euthanasia and also in animal agriculture as well so these animals get sick and we have to you know or they're disabled we have to kill them for their own good it's better off to be dead than disabled so these sort of able narratives projected onto non-human animals. The final example I'm going to give in terms of linking human rights and animal rights is um, slaughterhouse work. Okay so if we think about slaughterhouses. Now I'm not going to go too much on in-house Slaughterhouses harm animals, because I think that's fairly straightforward. Okay, They're called slaughterhouses, houses of slaughter. They're quite uh, horrible places for animals. We can use words like humane slaughter and those kind of things might make feel us better about what's going on, but it's always going to be horrible for the animals. No animal wants to... Yeah, they all struggle to avoid death. They all want to continue living. And yeah, I did an interview with a Western Australian slaughterhouse worker, so it's not a sort of far-off example of a different country. We're talking about right here in Western Australia. And interestingly, actually, he was um, in the working producing the chilled meat for export to the halal market overseas. So yeah, for anyone hearing things around the live export campaign, you hear about humane, yep, uh, humane slaughter in Australia or slaughterhouses are great for Australian Australian animals. All these kind of things. I'd encourage you to, to. look up this interview online it's called silence of the lambs nick pendergrass i want to look into that but yeah um basically again i'll put aside the animals and just focus on the workers i think slaughterhouse is also horrible for workers as well so the in- injuries to the workers were quite common in terms of working this place partly because of the speed of which this kind of assembly line of, of animals goes through which again is you know, slaughtering many animals harming the workers as well but also this sort of violence inflicted onto animals also flowed over onto the workers and not to the workers themselves but into the communities around them as well so physical fights were common amongst the workers and this is partly related to the speed of the production so you're kind of on a production line you've got to keep things going quickly and so if someone holds up one end of the line then you know, you're know you going to mess someone else up further down so that's partly it but also partly this violence is continually inflicted on animals often flows over into violence amongst the workers themselves he was saying that punch-ups on the slaughterhouse floor were very common, happened all the time these um, punch-ups there, there's also drug use and abuse uh, both during and after work a lot lot of the people there were um, generally high on illegal drugs while they were doing it after work generally alcohol and a lot of fights and those kind of things after work as well Um, and also the emotional harm to workers so this worker, who I spoke to and not just during the interview I spoke to him quite a lot after as well and he said he was haunted by the experience and it really had a a big impact on those and often we can demonize slaughterhouse workers whereas he he didn't want to harm animals which there weren't any other jobs available and yeah it had a real impact on him he felt really bad bad about it that's why he went to this animal uh welfare place pause in the city Some might you know, might know about it's not around anymore but he actually came there because he wanted to tell his story and expose what was going on there and yeah it's interesting to see these biggest bigger scale start surveys as well obviously each worker's experience is different but there's so many common threads with slaughterhouse work so I did a bit of research before and there's so many yeah so much commonality between these different stories so just give one example a study by the University of Windsor and Michigan State University from 581 countries with slaughterhouses found that in increased violent crime around slaughterhouses wherever we have slaughterhouses we have increased violent crime amongst humans as well well so again there's another example of that crossover between human rights and animal rights I want to finish off just briefly touching on some, yeah, some, some ways in which we can make uh, human rights activists more concerned about animals and also make animal rights activists more concerned about human issues and in terms of human rights activists, um, Gary Francione who's an animal rights lawyer once gave a talk on animal rights and someone came up to him afterwards and they said well I totally agree what you say about animals but I'm too busy um, with feminist work, you know working on those kind of issues, helping women and he was like well that, that's great you're doing that but do you have time to eat lunch and she was I was like yeah, I've got time to eat lunch. He said, "Well, do you have time to use shampoo?" And she said, "Yeah, I've got time to use shampoo." Well, I said, "Well, you don't have to actually spend any time advocating for animals. Just if you choose not to eat them when you sit down to eat your lunch, or when you wash your hair, choose a shampoo that's not tested on animals." So we don't actually have to. If we are human rights activists, that's great. We don't have to stop doing that, but we can still consider animals when we eat our lunch or when we, you know, buy our shops at the super, uh, buy our products at the supermarket. Another example, Bob Torres, who's written a whole uh, book on the links between human rights and animal rights, he was saying, for example, if we're doing feminist acts, a- activism, uh, advocating for women, we're not going to say, well, I'm doing this feminist activism, therefore I'm going to go out and tell racist jokes, for example, because I'm focusing on this one issue. And he sort of linked that back to animals as well. OK, we can be fighting against um, sexism or racism or whatever other cause, that's great, but that doesn't mean we want to you know, directly harm animals through consuming them or or you know, going to circuses with animals or or all these in- supporting these industries that harm animals. And so, yeah, in terms of yeah, veganism, I think the, the arguments for veganism in our society are fairly straightforward. We don't need animal products to be healthy. It's recognised by the American Dietetic Association, the Canadian Dietetic, Dietetic Association, the Australian government. So many people living happy, healthy lives without animal products. That's fairly straightforward. And I'd also point out that, again, linking uh, bringing slaughter, all uh, animal products we find on the supermarket shelves are, egg- dairy meat all the rest they all are slaughter products so all of these products even eggs and dairy even though we're not eating their flesh as soon as they're not productive they'll end up in the slaughterhouses as well so all of these products involve slaughter all involve harm to animals and we don't need them so it's fairly straightforward what we've tried to focus on last few years with R is more the practical side of veganism because again I think the arguments for vegans are fairly straightforward and there's a lot of people out there who want to go vegan so we focus more on the practical side of things now a lot. with We've got a website veganperth.org.au where we list vegan friendly restaurants, got about 100 restaurants on there, health information, that kind of thing. We've also got these vegan starter packs which are actually on the table right there if anyone wants to pick one up afterwards and yeah, they basically have practical information, recipes, health information, vegan products, all these kind of more practical stuff which I think a lot of people need. Um, yeah, a lot of people need that kind of information rather than the why vegan because a lot of people already understand that the argument is fairly straightforward. And I think we've distributed probably about nearly a 1,000 of the starter packs this year, so there's a lot of demand for those. And yeah, I won't go too much on the practical side of living vegan because there's a lot of talks happening today, so I encourage you to hang around and look at those talks, giving practical advice on living vegan. Um, So, uh, yeah, I guess to sum up for for human rights activists, again, you don't have to stop doing what you're doing, that's great work, advocating for humans, but at least, yeah, try not to directly contribute to harm to animals through what you purchase and what you support. And for for vegans, um, I'd also encourage vegans to not go, I'm vegan, I've done my bit. We can do a lot more than being vegan, not just for humans, but for animals as well. And just to give an example of that, I've got a flyer here. This is one we put in our vegan starter packs. And this one here is a really great flyer. It's not done by us, it's done by another group. Um, And it was originally called 10 crazy things that every vegan hears. Uh, And we've changed that to 10 ridiculous things every vegan hears. The reason why uh, we've done that is because I think it's important to avoid using ableist language. As we've got ableism earlier, doing discrimination against people with disabilities. So when we're doing our vegan advocacy, I think at the very least we should not contribute to these other causes. We shouldn't contribute to sexism or racism, homophobia or ableism, any of these things. At the least, I think we should do more than that. But I think that's the very least we can do. And in terms of why we'd want to avoid the the word crazy, this is from disabledfeminist.com. In terms of why we change that language. Crazy is a destructive word used to hurt people with mental disabilities. It's used to discredit, to marginalise, to make sure that we feel shame for our disability and discourage self-care, to make sure that those of us brave enough to publicly identify as having mental disabilities are continually discredited. So again, that's why we thought it's important to change that language. Again, we're not so much advocating for people with for disabilities, but at the very least we want to not contribute negatively to those people. Also when we're talking about what we consume Again, try not to stop at veganism. So, yeah, veganism is really important, not to take away from the importance of veganism, but just because a product is vegan doesn't necessarily mean it's cruelty-free or that it's not causing harm in other ways. And just give one example of that is, is fair trade and, and child child labour and slave labour in the chocolate industry or cocoa industry. And the Food Empowerment Project do a lot of great work on this, and, and they're really great at bringing in different issues when it comes to food. So they've got a list of chocolate, for example, which only lists vegan chocolate on there, but also only list fair trade as well because i think fair trade chocolate that has dairy isn't really fair for the cows who end up slaughtered in these industries but vegan chocolate isn't fair trade it possibly involves child labor and slave labor as well so it can be kind of overwhelming trying to bring in all these issues when we shop but at least considering these issues and not just going oh it's vegan and that's it at least looking into these other issues and trying to look into issues of fair trade and those kind of things and finally, I think we need to look beyond consumption as well. Obviously, what we consume is really important. There's lots of other things that um, affect you know, animals and humans that are beyond just when we go to the shops as well. And so just to give one example of that, there's the Row 8 highway development. Has anyone heard of that Row 8 highway development? Okay, a few people have heard about this. And this down for it what's that my house is getting knocked yeah yeah exactly and so this is a really important issue for so many different reasons i've been down there a number of times to protest and and now since the drilling has started as well so again if if we're vegan and we want to avoid harm again not just i'm vegan but also um yeah there's people whose homes are going to be demolished for this um also from an animal point of view that like i see that that's a home for animals there and we're basically going to highway through that lake for birds and countless other animals so again as a vegan i'm just not like i'm vegan and that see it. It's like, I want to get involved in this campaign against 8 development for the animals as well. It's also a sacred indigenous site, so there's sort of racism involved as well in terms of the sacred indigenous site being knocked down to create this highway to supposedly maybe shape a few minutes off people's car journeys um, and it's going to be environmentally disastrous. They should be using rail. There's just so many different issues why, why I think this is a really important campaign to get involved in. So if anyone does want to get involved with that campaign, you can go to rethinkthelink.com Com.au, and you can actually take a pledge, I'm on that, so you get an SMS alert whenever they've got campaigns and alerts and those kind of things. So I encourage you to, that's just one example of looking to get in. Thing again, we, what we consume is important, but there's so much other stuff as well going on beyond just what we consume too. Just going to finish up briefly with some plugs for myself. Um, you f- feel free to come up and ask me questions afterwards or after if we've got time as well. I don't know if we will have time. But my email, the easiest one to reach me out is just nick at ara.org.au if you've got any questions or anything like that. Also, um, me and my partner Katie is in the audience to do a podcast, progressivepodcastaustralia.com. I've got cards for that if anyone wants to check that out. And, yeah, we talk a little bit about veganism on that podcast. But, yeah, a range of other issues as well, environmental issues, feminist issues. Anti racism, all those things. I'm also on RTR 92.1 FM Indie Media, so you can check that out on 92.1 FM every Monday, 7 to 8 pm. And again, we focus on Roll 8. We focus on lots of different issues on that podcast. If you want help with going vegan, I've got some Vegan Perth cards here. Again, we've got an eating out list for Perth, we've got health information, and we've also got a whole bunch of free vegan starter packs here. Lots of great advice for new vegans or people wanting to make the switch for veganism. And also, if if you want to get active with us, um, animal rights advocates, you can sign up for the e-news at um, ara, ara.org.au. Again, I've got cards for that as well, and then you get an email update whenever there's a chance to, you know, help out with stalls like today, for example, or get involved with other events that we do. So I'll leave it for that. Do we have time for questions, or is that kind of done? <laughs> two more minutes. two more minutes. Okay. What? Well, yeah. Does anyone have any questions? Then we got two minutes for questions. How would you get to somebody who's <coughs> Yeah, well... I mean, I'm a sociologist, so I think the first thing you have to do is be, uh, realistic. So I think a lot of people go vegan and, or whatever other issue, like just use veganism as an example. And uh, it makes total sense to me. Like, why doesn't everyone realise that? And you just like, don't get it. And people get really upset that their mum won't go vegan or their best friend won't go vegan or their cousin won't go vegan or whatever. Uh, but I think from a sociological point of view, we've got to realise that people generally, um, go with the flow as in do what other people around them do so while we need to advocate for veganism those kind of things we can't expect the people around us will do it simply because most other people don't do it and it's, it's easier to fit in than go against it so i think we're going to make those arguments but also just not expect everyone will change um also um and another you know, sort of advice is to um, i guess try and make the argument within their framework so for example i, I lecture on veganism those kind of things and i have had students after the class go vegan but they are already people in, involved animal issues people aren't necessarily going to totally change their mindset but again you can kind of meet people where they're at so oh, i love my companion i love my dog or well, maybe you'd make the argument more from like animal sentience point of view well have you spent any time with pigs they're just as sentient as dogs they're just uh, they're just got that you know, they've got individual personalities here's a video of a pig you know playing on a farm or go and visit an animal sanctuary those kind of things or if you're um, if they're into social justice like human rights and those kind of things I've made the link to animals I've often spoke about like hierarchies like we have like men over women in a sexist society or you know, white people or people of colour and they're against all that and it's like well we've got humans over animals as well and kind of make it in those kind of terms as well so I think try and adjust the arguments depending on who you're speaking to did you have something else?
2: Um, just something else as well that, that I found is that You can't really... If they're not interested in it, that's fine. What I find is I get getting involved with ARA and just talking about veganism, running Vegan Perth, people are coming up to me constantly, wanting more information about it there's heaps of people around me that are going into it I don't need to bring it up with everyone that I work with or that I meet and to just be like a good, happy, healthy example of veganism, if they're interested they'll come and ask you about it, I've certainly had lots of friends go vegan just because they know I'm vegan so they'll think about it, do their own research but also to just be like, okay, if those people if people are going to be rude to you or put you down then they're not your friends and they're not worth that time but they should respect your views and just get involved with in ways that you can people who are really interested in veganism get involved in that and then you you're going to get heaps of people are going to go vegan like convert 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 you know i don't know how many we've converted over the years sounds like a religious thing but um i think yeah it's once you get out there you actually feel like okay i am making change
1: and this is my partner, Katie, who I do the podcast with. She's not just some random person who jumped on stage to grab the bite. But, yeah. Um, is that out of time? Yep. Yeah. okay. All right, thanks. All right. Yeah.
2: We've got the vegan starter and yeah. start. over there. And
1: we've got cards and everything. Oh. Yeah.